we're jumping into the second week of our Good Life series. And what we're doing is we're taking the most famous sermon of Christ, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and we are breaking it down as to what it looks like to live the good life according to Jesus. Because the good life is a really broad term, but it can be narrowed down as you look at his teachings in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7. I always say Matthews. I don't know why. Like multiple chapters, that, you know, I'll make it plural if I want to. Matthews, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, if you recall... Um, we talked about the Beatitudes and, and what does it really mean to be blessed. And um, I've gotten a little bit of grief over the whole hashtag blessed thing. But you know what I mean. It's like that word blessed or blessing means so much more now as we look at what it means to live the blessed life. And so we, we called last week um, right side up and the idea was we gotta, we got to rethink this whole thing about what it means to be blessed and live a blessed life. And uh, so that's what was last week. And this week we're going to be talking about this thing called upward focus. Um, and the idea is that as we go through life, what we do for the Lord and for his kingdom needs to be for the Lord. Like it, it needs to be for that recognition and that recognition alone. What's interesting is that Matthew chapter 5 starts with Jesus using the word blessed. And in Matthew chapter 6, it starts with the word beware. And so your, my, my Bible doesn't say beware. It says take heed. Your Bible probably says beware, depending on what version that you're using. And the word beware here is actually written in what they call the present imperative, which means you need to constantly be being aware. Like this is something that never goes away. It also has the idea of picking up something and showing your kid, don't touch this. All right? So that's what Jesus is saying. It's like he is, he is demonstrating to them now. Beware of this activity that I'm about to share with you. And then what he does, and we're gonna, it's going to be a little scripture heavy on the front end of this sermon. Because I think it's important that you see what I'm seeing. And so in Matthew chapter 6, he addresses what are known as the three pillars of the Jewish faith. And there are three activities that you could do as a Jew that seem to be of great importance to the Lord because he gave such clear instruction on these things. And the first of those three pillars is giving to the needy, also known as giving of alms. And this is covered in the first few verses of, of Matthew chapter 6. It says this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed, there's that word beware, that you do not your alms before men. To be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret. And your father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward you openly. I just want to make a, make a point here. What Christ is doing is not condemning the behavior. 
He's not saying you should not give to the poor. He's saying if you're going to give to the poor, do it the right way. The Jews gave alms because God commanded them to give alms. The reason God commanded them to give alms is because God is very concerned about the poor. And you can be as cynical as you want to about giving to the needy. But it doesn't dismiss the fact that it's important to God that we take care of people on this earth. And regardless of whether you think they can go get a job or they deserve it or they earn it or whatever, listen, if you look at it from God's eyes, there is a need and we are here to be need fillers. And that's about as simple as it gets. And we have the opportunity to partner with God to help the needy in our area. And so be careful that, that you don't think that, that he is condemning the giving of alms. The second uh, pillar of the Christian, of the Jewish faith that he addresses here is, is prayer. And there's actually four verses given to that as well, broken up into two bad examples. We'll give you the first one here. So let's, let's read verses five and six. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father which is in secret. And your father which sees in secret shall shall reward you openly. There's a lot of analogy there, but the idea here is, is he is revealing that, that one of the negative examples of prayer that he's pointing out are these, are these hypocrites. And the hypocrites do what they do to be seen of men. And they want to make sure that when they pray publicly, everybody sees it. The second poor example of prayer is found in verses uh, 7 and 8. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. I love that. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask them. So we have two bad examples of prayer. You have, you have hip, hypocrites who just like to be seen, and you have heathen. Now I don't know why I made heathen plural. There is no heathens, so let's just go ahead and go completely West Virginia and make it heathens. So he has hypocrites and he has heathens, and the heathens think that if they have like lots of words and do a lot of repetition and just, and, and, and actually he uses the word babblings. Like vain repetitions, like we're just going to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And and that's going to get, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to manipulate God's behavior by them continually repeating a particular prayer. How insulting that the only way we're going to get God to react to us is by bugging him to death. And I think that there's a difference between what the Bible calls importunity and just vain repetitions. These heathen feel like they are going to be heard and can affect change because of the many words or the repeating of chanting words. The attitude, the insulting attitude being that God can somehow be manipulated 
by our repetition. So he gives two bad examples of prayer here, hypocrites and heathen. And then, so, so we, have, we have a couple of different pillars here that we've discussed. So far, the first pillar of, of the Jewish faith is, is giving to the needy or giving of alms. And then the second is prayer. And then the third is something that we don't talk about very often in Christianity, and that is fasting. Now, we did a whole series on, on spiritual habits a couple of months ago, and one of them was fasting. And fasting is simply the act of doing without something physically or materially in order to be able to emphasize the spiritual in your own life. And this is perhaps the biggest hypocrisy of the three because fasting is supposed to be a sign of humility toward God. Let's read a few verses here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may, be appear, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I send to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, or when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that you appear not unto men to fast, but unto your Father which is in secret. And your Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. So I want to reiterate, Jesus is not condemning these three practices. In fact, I think that these three pillars of the Jewish faith would be fantastic pillars for our faith as well. I think we should give more. I think we should pray more. I think we should fast more. I think they're beautiful pillars of faith. So I don't think Jesus is troubled so much about the practices. But I think that he is troubled by the fact that they are done for all the wrong reasons. In fact... If you'll notice, every, every item that we read about, it says, when you do this thing, when you give your alms, when you pray, when you fast. So it's like Jesus is assuming that we are going to do this behavior. So it's not the fact that he is condemning the behavior. We, are, we live in a culture because we are so socially driven, it's almost like if we do something nice for somebody and nobody notices, it's like it didn't even happen really. Because we get so much satisfaction from being commended for what we just did. We feel like if we can't post it on Facebook, we really didn't eat there. Right? We've created this reality. And we have to broadcast everything we do to everybody about every area of our life. And it's almost like if we don't post it on Instagram or Facebook, we really didn't do it. And we just created this culture of, of this, this hungering appetite of, the, of needing the approval of everybody around us. And Jesus is here challenging his listeners to consider why we do what we do. So now, let me just be honest with you about this. This is not Christianity 101. I think this is more like Christianity 201. Like we've gone from just knowing what the right thing to do is as a believer to now we're going to start talking about why we do the things that we do as a believer. But let me just say this before we go any further. 
even if you do the wrong thing, I'm sorry, even if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, it's still going to help somebody. Okay? Don't wait to do the right thing until you do it for the right reason. Because it's still going to help somebody. I don't know if I need to give this $5 bill to this gentleman because I don't know if I'm really doing it for the right reason. Give it to him. Okay, you're a jerk if you don't. Give it to him. And I say that with all the love that I possibly can muster. So, so it's like I, I want to make sure that you understand that, that, that these activities and what, and what we are being called to do as believers, it's important to do them. We're just digging a few more layers down here and realizing that if we are only doing them for the approval of other people, we're missing out on what we can be getting from God in all of this. And if we're truly partnering with God to affect change in this world, then that's who we need to be trying to do our best to please and do things for. The lesson is very clear and it's very painful that much of our behavior depends on the opinions and approval of other people, even the stuff that we do for God. And let me be very real with you. I tend to be a people pleaser. And here's what's bad. If you know you're a people pleaser, right, you can feel yourself wanting to make sure people are happy with you. And then does that become the motivation for doing what we're doing? More than even what God thinks. And I like to think it's understandable to be that way because I know people and I interact with people and that becomes very important to me. But isn't that exactly the problem? We should become more aware of what God thinks of us rather than only being aware of what other people think of us. See, we gain a little bit of approval from people. And here's the rub, right? Most folks don't really want to give compliments anyway. So it's not like when we do something nice, people are tripping over themselves to make you feel better about what you just did. We're not built that way. Like, we're all looking for affirmation for everybody else. We're not all tripping over each other to give affirmation to somebody else. So it's not like the affirmation that we get from somebody else for something good that we did is really all that great anyway because it was probably given rather begrudgingly. And so we live this way like we want approval from everybody else. And not only is it going to be scarce... But that's all we get. If that's the only reason we are doing what we're doing for the Lord, is so that we can talk about it or we can get credit for it by some, from somebody else on a, on, a, on a horizontal level. That's all we're getting. Because if we're not doing it upwardly focused and partnering with God and doing it to bring him honor, and out of obedience to this beautiful relationship that we enjoy, then we miss out on the rewards that he's willing to give. Because here's the truth. We lose the approval of God when we seek the applause of men. So you might get a golf clap for what you do. 
but that's all you're getting. Because if that's why you did it, you're not getting the approval of God then. Because how many times did you see in the scripture that we read, they have their reward? That's it. So here's the choice, right? So do we please people and enjoy all that we can get out of that? Or do we please God, even if it feels unrecognized, knowing that God does see it and he will reward it someday? So this whole idea of rewards bothers some people. God invented it. God talks about rewarding our behavior throughout Scripture. If you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do this, then this is going to happen. But if you do that, this is going to happen. So it's not like doing things to bring him glory and to get rewards is a bad thing. He invented the idea. So that, but, but the idea is whether or not we are seeking approval on a horizontal level or on a vertical level. I mean, we're human, right? We want to be well thought of or recognized for the good things that we do. And Jesus doesn't say that that desire for recognition is bad. Please hear me. That's built into us. We want to be recognized. We want to be appreciated. But what he does tell us here is that we're looking for it in the wrong place. First of all, you're looking for it from people who really aren't good at it anyway. And you're looking at, you're looking for, you're looking to get it from people who really don't want to give it anyway. And here's the truth. It doesn't really satisfy you that much anyway. It's like, it's like it doesn't fulfill the desire that we have to please our Heavenly Father. Our motivation should be that your Father, which sees you in secret, will reward you openly. That's the, that's the motivation. And Jesus shares with us here that the greatest hindrance to right motives, and this is hard to say, is the desire to please yourself rather than the Lord. But let me tell you, let me tell you why I did this, right? So, so the greatest hindrance to right motives is our desire to please yourself because the truth of the matter is when I am asking for your approval, it's to make me feel better. So it is selfishness. It is my own self that I'm trying to please rather than the Lord. And so as, I am, as, I'm a, as I'm a people pleaser, as I'm trying to get approval from everybody for all this great stuff that I'm doing, it's so that I feel better about myself because I think you like me more. And I miss out on this incredible relationship that I have been invited into with the Lord. So how do we counteract this? Well, it takes faith. Jesus is motivating his listeners by faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that means I have to take a step of faith here. And that means that, that, that nothing, if, if nothing is lost on God, and he sees even the smallest thing that I do, I have to have the faith that that's enough for me. I'm going to partner with God and take some of what he's given to me and give it away. I'm going to partner with God and have this incredible conversation called prayer. And I don't care if anybody else is listening. This is just between me and God. I just want to have 
this and it takes faith because because it feels good to be affirmed by people. It feels good to get compliments or a pat on the back. And 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 even sometimes we time our behavior so people notice it. Rather than just being happy with God Almighty jotting that down and partnering with us to get that done. So how can we change why we do what we do? How can we become upwardly focused? I'm just going to focus on these three pillars, and then we'll be done. The first thing I think is this, that we need to give as only, as only God notices. And that's, that's tough. Because we want people to have good opinions of us. In verse 4, it said, your father which sees in secret. And here's the thing. In Jesus' day, the word in the Jewish language for righteous was the same word that they used for almsgiving. That's how closely connected them giving to the needy was to their opinion of their own righteousness. So my level of generosity to the poor is, is, is directly related to how righteous I view myself and how other people view me. So, so in their eyes, charity was absolutely necessary to attain righteousness as a means of pleasing God. But rather than do it for the notice of other people, what I'm saying here is we should give as though only God will ever notice. And what a beautiful way to give. Now, some of you like that because you don't give anything. And you don't want anyone to know that anyway. That was really mean. I'm sorry. I'm not like, I don't know. I got nobody in mind. I'm just saying like, it sounded funnier in my brain before it came out of my mouth. But like we want to we wanna partner with God to do something significant to help somebody financially. Let's just, let's just you and God do it then. Let's just make this happen and make it a beautiful thing. So give as though only God was watching. And I love this. Pray as though it's a private conversation. I'm not opposed to public prayer. I just don't think you should pray for publicity. I think leading in prayer in public is a beautiful thing, but you treat it like a private conversation. I had this, I'm going to be very transparent. I had the honor yesterday morning of praying at the opening of Little League. By the way, that was an awesome experience. Like 40, 50 different color teams all over the place, all over the field, just parents in the stands, all that kind of stuff. And like I got there early enough to where I began to, I, I began to get, get nervous. Like it wasn't just like, because I'm usually okay on my feet, right? So I got there and I'm early enough there and I'm realizing this is a big deal. To be asked to do this is a big deal, right? And so I began to like think, I really have to craft a great prayer here. You see, I'm, I'm just, I'm being real. It was like, I started, so I pulled my phone out. Now, now, listen, I didn't Google anything, all right? But seriously, right there are my notes from my public prayer. Because I didn't want, now I don't think God minds when you 
write a prayer. Just like if you're going to write a note to your wife, right? You think about that. Most of us try to. <laughs> I did several years ago. Um, so I'm not opposed to like writing things down. But what I, what I knew my own spirit. And what I was trying to do was think, I don't want to be embarrassed. I want to be clever. See what I'm saying? And so then the director of the Little League comes up to me and he goes, and you could tell he was a little bit nervous because he never met me before. And he goes, so you're leading in prayer. I was like, yes, sir. He goes, now, um, when you pray in a situation like this, I'm like, don't worry. So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to preach a message in my prayer. And he goes, okay, okay. He said, but just all we're doing is asking God to bless, right? <laughs> I don't know what he was expecting. But, but I could tell he was like a little nervous because he didn't know who I was. And so, but that added to my desire to, to be crafty. So I wrote down some cool things like, you know, may this day be remembered for all the right reasons. May the parents in the stands behave. <laughs> may, the, may the umps not be blind, right? I, I didn't say exactly that, but that's like what I was trying to convey. And it sounded so cool, and then I got convicted, like I am trying to make this about how I appear. And so I got out there, and I just prayed, but I still used some of those cool things in case you were there, because they were already in my mind. But I didn't like read off my phone. But, but what it showed me was that, was that, was that when, we pl- when we pray publicly, there's such a temptation to be impressive. When really we should just be inviting God in and having a conversation. And I believe you can change the tone of a place. You can change the environment. You can change the temperature of a room when you invite God in. And you tune in. And I think that's what it's about. Pray like it's a private conversation. It's almost like if you go on a, a date with your wife and all you do is look around the room to see who's paying attention to you the whole time. It's about her. It's about you communicating with each other. It's not you saying something flowery and looking around hoping somebody noticed what you just said. That's not what God is looking for. He wants this great conversation with you. So, so give as though only God notices or God is watching. Pray as though it's a private conversation. And then fast as though you're full. So the idea is that, and I really believe fasting is a really great tool. I think that um, there are things that we can remove from our life for a period of time to help get our own attention. So, so we've talked about this before. I won't belabor it, but, but fasting is really more about getting your own attention than it is about getting God's attention. And it's about tuning my heart and tuning me up spiritually to hear better from him and to communicate more effectively with him. And Jesus is pointing out here in this passage that it should not be a means of bringing attention to ourselves. And we are so socially uh, we are such social foodies. Like, like everything that happens 
has to have food. Have you noticed that? It's like no matter what gathering you have, no matter what you do socially, it seems like it has to be around coffee or lunch or something that has to do with something that goes in your belly. And I don't know why that is, but that's who we've become, right? And I'm generally okay with that. (laughs) Just saying. But because of that, it becomes more difficult to be secret about your fasting. So I'm just, I'm just honest. I don't make it a thing, but if I, if I happen to be fasting for a couple of days, now I will say this, I try and schedule it to where it doesn't become an issue. Like if I know I want to fast for two or three days, and I just make sure that I just schedule it to where nothing else is really happening during that period of time. But there have been times when I have sat at the table drinking water when everybody else is eating. That's kind of awkward, But I didn't do it to get attention. It was just like, you know, that I got to be here. And this is, this is what it is. But I think there's a difference between doing it to get attention. And if you're truly focused on making advancements spiritually, then it's not as big a deal. So let me throw this out here and we'll finish up. The good life is lived when we focus upwardly more on what God thinks about what we're doing than about what other people think about what we're doing. If others notice, fine. If they don't, fine. But we do it for the Lord and with the Lord, and that makes all the difference. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 say this, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. That's it in a nutshell. So we do what we do because we're partnering with God, and that makes all the difference. Let's have a word of prayer. James will lead us in a song, and then we'll be dismissed. God, we love you, and we are honored to be able to partner with you in life and to give a portion of what you've given to us to help somebody else and to spend time in conversation with you. And I pray that you would just help us to remember to be upwardly focused on the God that we serve and the God that we partner with so that we do what we do for all the right reasons. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.